welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Sunday deep dive episode. We have Brad Freeman on the show. As always, Brad, how are we doing today? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Yeah. I'm doing I am well. doing good. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask Ryan as well. He gets a little uh, mad, I guess, jokingly, okay. that I don't uh, ask about how his day is going. <laughs> uh, but we are in the same room. so you know. It's going fine, though. Thanks for asking. Yes. And we're talking coupon today. It's uh, pronounced C-O-U, or no, sorry, spelled C-O-U-P-A-N-G, South Korean company. So spelling's a little different. If you're kind of an English native speaker, you might not know how it's spelled. It's You'd think it's called coupang but it's actually pronounced coupon. Uh, we had a whole debate on whether that was the proper way to say it. We're going to be talking that today. But before we do, our flagship sponsor for the week is Potential Multibaggers. Uh, Ryan, do you want to talk about them or is it my turn? Why don't you give a little bit of uh, well, I'll give a little preface. It's uh, You've probably listened to him here on the show. It's Chris. Um, his I think his Twitter account is from value. Um, and he basically finds companies that he thinks can 10x in 10 years. Uh, and I think you get a two-week free trial. So Typically, yeah. Yep. He has probably one of the best, not only slugging percentages, but also averages uh, of some of the investors I've known over the last two or three years. So it's definitely worth at least signing up for that trial and seeing some of the content on there. Am I missing anything? Yeah. Well, I, he's got a lot of different parts of it, but we'll just kind of highlight some different things each week. So, I mean, as a part of the service, you get an overview of the week every Sunday. So he's constantly updating anything relevant with the portfolio companies, the markets in general, kind of acting as someone that you can have as a soundboard if you're not someone that's an expert in investing. But the only thing else we need to talk about is the sign-off. So if you want to become a multi, as the community is called, you can go on to Seeking Alpha and look from for from growth to value, you can either Google it, you'll find it easily there, it'll be the first search uh, thing, or you can go to at from value on Twitter and find it out. Tell them we sent you. All right, let's talk coupon. Ryan, you want to introduce the company? Yeah, their mission statement is to create a world where customers wonder, how did I ever live without coupon? that doesn't tell you much about the company, but that's that's something they talk a lot about. Um, so Bum Sook Kim is the CEO and founder, and he doesn't really like it when people say this, but they're kind of the Amazon of South Korea. Uh, very similar, they're an e-commerce marketplace um, with a little bit more vertical integration, I'd say. So the coupon marketplace offers just about anything. So you can get apples, books, toys, you name it. So it's fresh groceries to household items. Uh, and most of the items are sold by merchants or small businesses. So they provide the supply, but coupon really does the rest. Uh, a few stats about South Korea in general, as far as geographical size, it's about 1% of the U.S., um, but it's almost 16% of the U.S. population. So it's a pretty dense country. Um, and coupon has a logistics center within seven miles of 70% of the population. So when you think about like logistics and fulfillment, uh, the closer people are together, the more profitable it can be. So that's why they've been able to generate cat. We'll talk about it, operating cash flow, uh, 
they are operating cash flow positive and they operate their own fleet of trucks. I think it's called rocket delivery. Um, so users can pretty much order anything, any time of the day and get it. I think almost a hundred percent of orders are next day or sooner. Um, but you, there's also the dawn service. So if you order for anything up until midnight, yeah, this is kind of the unique thing that's even farther than what Amazon offers currently. Right. And so yeah, as long as you, if you order something at 11.55, you can get it before 7 a.m. So they're going 24-7 round, round the clock. Um, and then they also have the same day delivery as well. But then as far as returns go, all you have to do is hit a button if you want to return something on your phone and then leave the item outside, outside your door, and they just come and pick it up. So it's yeah. really, really easy. They, I'm sure they have security things to go along with it too. <laughs> people kind of question that. They're like, oh, how does that work? And it's like, I'm sure they figure out how to make it work. They don't just let packages get taken. But Yeah, and then they've also eliminated a lot of the boxes. So this is kind of their ESG or stakeholder uh, Efficiency friendly. too. You know, gets margins maybe a little better. Maybe yeah. So it's eco-friendly bags. That's sort of their new, uh, the new thing they've introduced. And so if you look online, it's kind of cool. They all have like milk cartons and apple in like this eco-friendly bag just dropped off right outside someone's door. Uh, a little bit about the history though. Bom Su Kim uh, dropped out of Harvard's MBA program within six months of enrolling. Uh, so he's a quitter. Uh, that's all you gotta know. No, he. Uh, <laughs> He wanted to start something. I don't think he knew exactly what he wanted to do because when he first rolled out Coupon, it was similar to Groupon. And then it. Uh, oh, that's why Coupon. I'm not going to. I don't know what it is in Korean, but. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Coupon, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but then it evolved into almost like this eBay type of thing and was quite successful. I think they had more than a billion dollars in sales. Um, and they were set to IPO, but apparently at the 11th hour, like right as they were going public, uh, Kim pulled the IPO, had some epiphany that uh, we were, he said that, as I talked about with the mission, they wanted to be critical. They wanted people to say, how could I ever live without coupon? He said they weren't there yet. And so they, he kind of rolled it back and then they built out this end-to-end delivery system. Um, and that's when they started to build out their UPS type of service called Rocket Delivery. Since then, they've obviously grown and they IPO'd less than a month ago. So brand new to the public markets. Yeah. And the key thing about this is that UPS and FedEx were not in South Korea. There wasn't anything before them. So they're the first ones. It's kind of strange that there there wasn't because South Korea has been such a developed economy for the last few decades. But that was kind of the opening and uh, they took it. And glad they didn't stick with Groupon because... That really didn't work out. But I'll talk industry landscape competition. The South Korean e-commerce market is reportedly the sixth largest market for e-commerce globally. Um, it was at about $128 billion in spend in 2019, putting ahead of France and behind Germany. So large, very large market. I think they're the 12th largest country by GDP. So even though they are one of the larger countries by GDP, their e-commerce market as a you know ranking is um, higher than a lot of other countries. And I think... The uh, market is supposed to go to $200 billion by 2024 for e-commerce. But Brad, do you have anything else to add there? Yeah. And just to give you an idea of how far along they are, I mean, South Korean's e-commerce penetration rate is the second highest in the world. So, I mean, yes. it's I think behind China, it's ahead of our own, which I, I had to do a double take when I when I saw that the first time I wasn't expecting it. And, and maybe that's on me. But but yeah, it's, it's, a, it, it's very far along in its e-commerce uh, journey. Yeah, so I think the key there why it's so far along is that, you know, it's 1% of the landmass of the United States, so it's a lot easier to build out the fulfillment network. I bet Coupon has to spend a fraction of what Amazon has to spend to build out Amazon Logistics. 
and then also the densification of the po- or sorry the density of the population i think like 85% of the citizens live in urban areas which also makes it easy for e-commerce to grow uh, but enough on that. In the S1, Coupon identifies itself as within the gro- retail, grocery, restaurant, and travel industry. Not sure travel is a product they have currently, but maybe that's a hint that something is coming. I thought they did. They have a travel product? That, yeah, that so it's almost like an Expedia type of product. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I didn't see that one. I just saw some of the other ones. They but... also have Coupon Play, which is like a Netflix type of thing. Really? Yeah, <laughs> they have, they've got a few venture bets, if you will. Yeah, it's they do. Sure, well. Yeah. They have a lot. They have a lot. I'm sure. Sorry, Brad. We just talked over each other three times. We've, we've been doing that recently, but <laughs> uh, the, they estimate their TAM at uh, $470 billion. That's something to just, I guess, check. Uh, but again, investing on a TAM is not something to typically do. Uh, competitors include G Market, which is owned by eBay. We make price, Naver shopping, and then there's some international competitors, including Amazon, but Amazon doesn't have any fulfillment in South Korea. Um, third-party sites are estimating that none of these competitors have close to as much as revenue as Coupon, although that could be wrong. Some of those third-party sites um, you know, are not as accurate as you would hope them to be, and it looks like they're already on track or the number one e-commerce business in South Korea right now. I believe they're at 24% market share, according to an analyst that was on CNBC at one point. Uh, but that's just, a, again, another third-party uh, estimate. And uh, you mentioned Amazon there. I, yeah, I don't think they're in South Korea, but I believe they've made an investment. I think they, I think I saw somewhere that they own 30% of 11th Street, which is sort of a commerce oh. competitor in South Korea. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to, yeah, we'll have to move on, but I... Yeah, Amazon I think invested in 300 million in South Korean e-commerce company at 11th Street. Yeah, but I think they also might be in there. But either way, I don't. I don't think that's a giant deal. Brad, do you want to talk management and ownership? For sure. Uh, so, so they actually gave data on their F1 post offering, which was really nice. A lot of the time they do before the offering, so you kind of have to just make the assumption that it's the same. But as of right now, funds own about 16 percent of the voting power, but they own 61 percent of the outstanding Class A and B shares. And then kind of flipping that, directors and executive officers own 82.8% of the voting power, but just 33.9% of the outstanding Class A and B shares. I say just um, kind of sarcastically because 33.9% is still pretty darn elevated. But Bomb Soup Kim on his own owns uh, 76% of the total voting power and 10% of the float. Um, so he definitely has, or he's, he well, kind of what he says goes, I think is a good way to put it, yeah. especially at this point in time. Um, and then kind of transitioning to leadership. Um, Bom Suk Kim adding a little color to his resume. He did try to start his own magazine after Harvard. That failed. And next was Coop Pong, which clearly did not fail. So good for him. Um, staying determined and motivated. Um, his executive team includes previous VMware VPs, uh, the former CTO at Uber and a Flipkart VP. So a lot of big names. Um, and yeah, let's toss it over to valuation. Yeah. And I would also add there that the CTO with Uber is pretty interesting because... Yeah. Uh, regardless of what you think of like Uber's economics or anything like that, that part, the logistics and being able to have the tech to know what's the most, uh, what's the most economically sound car to pick up or whatever, they have to apply that same framework to coupon. Uh, for deliveries or returns. So uh, yeah, and they also have coupon eats, which is a Uber eats and DoorDash competitor, and they're really trying to build that out as well. So that could be helpful. Although it's just. 
you know, different markets. We'll, we'll have to see if that can really be an advantage. But I guess one question I have for you guys is when you see this A and B share stuff where one person has uh, the sole voting power, what are you guys' thoughts when you see that? Maybe Brad, will start with you. Uh, so for me, a lot of people have a prerequisite. Companies have to be founder-led, and I do not have that prerequisite myself unless there's something like this where the person with the vision of the company controls three-quarters of the voting power. If he leaves and, and, if, and if that voting power goes away, then yeah, that, that's, a, that's a large red flag for me just be, because this is pretty darn unique that he has over a little over three quarters of the total voting power of a gigantic public company. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's unique. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, Ryan, what do you, you have any other thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, anytime you see that kind of control, you it's, he, in this scenario, the leader or whoever owns that much, uh, is integral to yeah. your investment. Um, and I like him. Uh, he's done a really good job and he's got sort of the vote of confidence from a lot of prominent investors. I know Bill Ackman, Back in 2010, uh, which was really early on. Yeah. Uh, even Andrew Ross Sorkin had some sort of high praise for him. Uh, yeah. So, well, we only like invest when CNBC anchors. No, I like I like I like Sorkin. Andrew Ross like Sorkin, Sorkin for sure. Softly, yeah. uh, they invested too. So that, that uh, kind of, yeah, that, that weighs it down maybe a bit, <laughs> maybe a bit. Uh, All right, valuation. Yeah, so we'll hit this quick. It's a, it's a pretty easy one. Market cap seventy two billion dollars. When I I looked, I think it's a little bit higher today. They're up today. Uh, ticker CPNG. Uh, price to sales of six, price to gross profit of 36 though. So you're, we're looking at low gross margins here. Ryan will probably get into that. They're at an operating loss, but operating cash flow was positive. And their priced operating cash flow is about 240. So still really richly valued. They're spending a ton on CapEx. Um, even the margins were super negative a few years ago, but they're moving in the right direction. Uh, so it looks like everything's going well for them, but the valuation Clearly, is at a premium, especially if you look at their most direct competitor, who would be JD.com. Um, they traded like a sales ratio around one or lower historically. Uh, so you got to be really confident in Coupon's business model because, and there's uniqueness to each one of those, but JD.com has a very similar model and it's kind of strange that one will trade it six times. Uh, the other, but Ryan, you want to hit earnings? Yeah, so they had $12 billion in revenue in 2020. That was growing 91% year over year. Uh, and they had 17% gross margins. So, yes, very, uh, I mean, it's e-commerce. So all the stories you heard about early on Amazon, where it's like they were never profitable and they were kind of reinvesting. Yeah. And think just, if they try to build a UPS at the same time. Right. And this, you know, you hear the quote, your margin is my opportunity. Like that is, that is very applicable to the situation. Uh, they had minus negative 4% operating margins, uh, this year. And then in 2018, they had negative 26% operating margins. So it is trending in the right direction. They had $300 million in operating cash flow, but they spent almost 500 million on CapEx. So, and they're building out sort of that logistics infrastructure. Um, and they, I think they employ 15,000 full-time drivers. Yeah. Um, that's just the drivers. That's not including their warehouses. So right. they have tens of thousands of actual workers, but yeah, the 15,000 drivers is huge. Yeah. And so they have negative free cash flow because of all that CapEx, but I believe most of that CapEx is growth oriented and not, yeah. not really like maintenance CapEx. And then they had almost 15 million active customers up 26% year over year, uh, revenue per active customer grew 60%. Uh, versus a year ago, uh, it's $256 per year. Um, they did a cohort analysis, which I always feel cool saying cohort analysis, but yeah. it showed that 
like it would take for people to triple their spend. It, it used to take five years, I think in 2016. And now it takes less than three years to triple customer spend. So it's becoming, the platform is becoming more crucial. Yeah. I mean, customers. that was such an impressive chart. Whenever you see those, you're like, Oh, all right. Yeah. This, this is impressive. But the, I'd say one note too on the drivers, they employ them full time and they only have a five day work week for each, which is a huge, well, it's not a huge advantage, but it's different than say like DoorDash or Uber where they're just doing these subcon or the, the contracting type deals. So it's more of an investment to try to keep these people like as employees. Um, but Brad, you want to hit balance sheet and liquidity? Uh, cause it's pretty important for coupon as they try to do a lot of investments going forward. Yeah, so this IPO was pretty gigantic. I mean, they raised $4.6 billion and it pushed their cash, cash position to almost $6 billion. So, I mean, they got a lot of liquidity, uh, $353 million in long-term debt with $5.6 billion in total liabilities. Um, so the balance sheet is pretty darn strong. Um, shout out for Coupon for making this section extremely easy for me. Um, they they yeah. reported long-term debts so neatly and... And uh, yeah, a lot of companies make you dig through the F1 or S1. And this this made it really easy. So thank you. Yeah, that, that, I know it's a simple one to go over, but I do think that $6 billion cash balance is important. I think they're trying to invest in Singapore right now. That, that was a rumor um, that they have job listings to go out into Singapore and they're going to need to do a lot of CapEx uh, over the next few years. But luckily, uh, you know, that capital as an advantage strategy that SoftBank always talks about is a little, you know, it's kind of bullshit. Uh, RPS, excuse me. Uh, but in this case, if they have $6 billion and they know they have, they can invest with a good ROI, I mean, you know, that's kind yeah. of an advantage that they have and they don't have to raise more debt or anything like that. But that's going to do the, the first half. We'll get to the second half here, talk more of the analysis and what we think about coupon. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. Next up, we have a new thing. We're doing anecdotal evidence, customer stories. It's optional. Uh, Ryan came up with it last time, so we're going to start out. Maybe start with you, Ryan. I don't know. Do you have anything? I mean, this one's kind of, it's in South Korea. So. Yeah, obviously I have not used the platform, uh, but I did watch a YouTube video of someone that did use the platform. Oh. Uh, and he was more, he, he was doing sort of an analysis himself. Um, and he said that, his friends use it and sometimes on returns they'll just pay you back and won't pick up the item because it's like a small loss for them and it just doesn't make sense financially for them to go pick it up so i thought that was just kind of interesting that they've sort of modeled it out where they're willing to take those tiny losses uh if the returns aren't that big okay that's interesting brad uh yeah i'm gonna emphasize that this is extremely anecdotal i have one friend from school who lives in korea and moved back there and I asked her if she knew what coupon was, and she did not. But it sounds like their delivery service does not operate under the label coupon. So that makes a lot more sense now. And I would probably not worry too much about that. Yeah, it's. I don't think there's got to be any worry about um, brand awareness in South Korea. Right. Um, yeah. And I think we might, we think about it as coupon, but I think they might think of rocket delivery, yeah. Dawn. Those are sort of the names that 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Dawn might not be a brand, but it may It's the nighttime maybe. delivery. Yeah, it might, it might. Yeah, they might be under different apps or services or something like that. Either way, it's just these services, and they got 15 million customers. Yeah, what about um, you? Yeah, I'm a, I mean, it's a no-go on any personal experience, and a lot of people do use that Amazon of X stuff for a lot of companies. Um, but I think with Coupon and like JD.com, it makes sense here. Uh, it reminds me maybe the most of Amazon of any company I've, I've seen out there. I know people talk about C Limited, Jumia, Mercado Libre, um, plenty of others. This one is actually the most like them, I think, because of their relentlessness to grow. Uh, it seems like they really have the same core principles as Amazon. Uh, we'll see if they can go with the AWS, the greatest business of all time, but uh, maybe not. But uh, next up is competitive advantages. Brad, Brad, what do you have? Yeah, uh, so for a global company like this, I love how deeply connected the executive team is within the Korean political system. I mean, you have a, a district judge serving on, on, on the executive team. Um, you, you have several lawyer, or lawyers that are well-connected um, in the Korean political system. So whenever I'm investing in a, a country that I don't know a ton about, um, I generally like to see that their, their team is made up of insiders who have a much better feel on the overall climate of the country than I do. Yeah, and people can kind of, you know, you see that and you think of, you know, red flag in your head, like, oh, well, what are the morals of that, you know? And it's like, well, as an investor, that could be a good thing. Brad, Brad do you have anything else? Yeah, I actually, and I actually own Ozon um, in my portfolio, which is kind of the Russian Amazon. And I'm saying that with air quotes and sarcastically, but, um, but yeah, they're, <laughs> one of the things that I liked about it is that they're owned by a private equity firm that is owned by somebody listed on the Russian oligarch list. And when I say that to people, a lot of the time they're like, what are you talking about? But that like that makes no sense that you would think of it as a positive. But when I'm in, investing in a country that has a less certain geopolitical climate and I should not be comparing Korea to Russia because they're apples and oranges. But having that inside connection, I do see as a strength. And some people may disagree with me. And that is perfectly fine. Yeah, regulatory capture. That's great. Uh, Ryan, what Ryan, what do you have for competitive, competitive advantages? Uh, well, it. As you mentioned earlier, it takes a lot of capital to have uh, to get to where uh, Coupon is at. So that's sort of the big barrier to entry. It took $3.4 billion in private funding to get to where they're at now. I think $3 billion of that came from SoftBank. Um, I forgot where I saw that. Uh, yeah, it might have been $2 billion, but either way, a large amount. You have to get a lot of money early on to build that. And you got to go at it fast. And now yeah. they can sort of raise all that publicly, right? I think they just raised whatever yeah. it was, five billion. And I know they're spending almost a billion on more logistics centers and and uh, distribution centers. They have operating cash flow to use it now that they can use now too. Yeah. So I mean, it just takes a ton of money to get going, and they had that financial backing from SoftBank. I mean, it, Soft SoftBank is right. Like this, uh, this took a lot of capital to do. Yeah, it may not it have paid been off for them. Yeah, it may not have been smart for them to give billions of dollars to both Uber and DoorDash and watch them compete away all their margins. But in this case, they could have been. They 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 might have been right. All right, I'll, I'll hit mine. It's similar. I think the logistics network is the most important part of the business. So, like Ryan said, seventy percent of the population lives within seven miles of a distribution center. Remember, you know, South Korea is a tiny peninsula, and it really helps that they can charge lower prices while also doing seven a.m. delivery. I just think that's. I mean, it's tough. like seven a.m. delivery isn't just killer, but it's if you're going to have lower prices and basically unbeatable delivery there's no reason anyone would go anywhere else it's kind of like amazon even if it has you know with amazon you're not like excited to shop there but i mean 
you're just going to go there uh, because it's the easiest. Um, and they have this quote here. I think Ryan had on some of these too, but this is from the S1, and this is a direct quote. Korea is approximately one size of the size of the United States geographically. 1%, excuse yeah. me, and over 60% of the land is mountainous. So given the scarcity of flat land, mega fulfillment centers are typically built vertically and are more complex and time-consuming to build than their counterparts in other parts of the mother markets like the United States. I thought that was pretty indicative of how you know even that real estate is going to be tough to come around for someone to build a competing one. Um, it's almost like there's going to be no way for someone to build that. Yeah, and go look. I encourage anyone that's interested in the investment to go look up videos of like coupon delivery because you see like some of these towers of apartments are just super tall. So you think about yeah. the economics of just going from door to door, dropping and picking stuff up. Uh, it's a lot easier than rural areas. Yeah, and we don't want to get we don't want to get too bold up here on the logistics. But one last note is that they. This sounds simple too. I bet a lot of other companies do this, but they the they use this. I don't want to call it machine learning, but I guess that's maybe the best way. You know, they have this system, uh, the software system that optimizes box placement in the delivery trucks. And the, the anecdotally, it's workers say that it saves them hours, like every day of taking boxes out and stuff like that, where you don't have to go dig to the back. It's like, all right, this one's in the back. This one's right in the front. It's just all optimized. Um, and that's probably advantage as well. But let's get to future growth opportunities. Brad, what do you have? Yeah, so, so Korea has the highest smartphone penetration in the world at 96%. And I think because it's taking this position as a super app that we want to do everything and make people question how they live without us and, and all that stuff. I, I'm thinking about like Jin Yang from Silicon Valley and, and how he <laughs> and how he just literally recreated Netflix and Google and Facebook and all these things and just and, and just moved where they were operating somewhere else. And And I'm sort of joking, but sort of not joking where I think they could create a Tinder, they could create a Peloton, they could create a GoodRx and an Upwork and all these things and just bolt it on to their super app and just be really successful with horizontal integration in Korea. And I think that is a really compelling growth opportunity in its own right. What do you think the most viable one is? They already have Coupon Eats, they already have, Ryan mentioned that travel thing as well, so maybe not that. Uh, and they also have Coupon Pay. Everyone has a Coupon Play. No, they have Coupon Pay as well. And Coupon Play, sorry. Yeah, they have that. I guess they have that as well. Everyone has payments. Uh, are there any that you guys see as viable here? I kind of, you know, I kind of have trouble seeing any, but if you have any. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know which ex exactly which one is the most viable, but I think there's more nuance to, I don't think they're just copycats. I think a lot yeah. of people play it as like, oh, it's the Tinder of China. It's the Netflix of China or the Netflix of South Korea or something like that. Like there's, uh, it's hard to, it doesn't cool. exactly work wherever you want it to. Each yeah. culture is different. Right. Yeah. Well, I think maybe GoodRx. I don't know if GoodRx is delivery. Brad, you know GoodRx. Is that yeah, make sense at all? That, that's not a great example because – that's not a great example that I gave because um, our healthcare system is so messed up and, and they're taking advantage of like differences between copays and listing prices and all that. So that's maybe not a great example, but – a Peloton or a Tinder, I mean, I, I know it's probably not feasible for them just to create Korean Tinder, but using these ideas and using these monumentally successful products and kind of tweaking them in their own way to fit the Korean culture, I think it work out really well for them. And they've shown that they can do a lot of other things besides being this really successful marketplace and fulfillment network. So yeah, a lot of optionality. Yeah, we might honestly be a little naive. I think a lot of this stuff might already be going on there. There's probably a reason that 
the mobile penetration is so high in that country. I don't think it's because they have no apps on them. Yeah, but. and it's not like Coupon is not competing with anyone. Yeah. But, you know, they have the customers that will the network. All right, Ryan, what do you have? Uh, international expansion, I think this is probably the logical growth opportunity that everyone's thinking about. My only concern here is that, you know, we've talked so much about the benefits of having an e-commerce platform in South Korea just because of the density uh, or the population density. So uh, you've got to be really, I imagine they have to be very methodical about where they choose to go yeah. next. Yeah. Um, I think it's got to be super dense cities. Singapore. They're going to Singapore. That seems smart. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know the territories that well, uh, but I see no reason why this business model uh, and the benefits of like this return and overnight shipping and stuff like that couldn't work in super dense cities. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of people that are that we know that are very smart that like C Limited. I think C Limited is less; they don't have a, like a logistics network. So I don't know. I think there's a you know I don't know enough about C Limited. Maybe they do, but uh, yeah, if you can replicate this model in a lot of places, but there's a ton of e-commerce competitors globally, so it'll be harder. Yeah, the other thing is like, you know, going places where they're wanted. Uh, you know, I don't know how friendly uh, some of the Chinese competitors would be uh, if they tried to launch in cities around there. I don't think, yeah, no, I, uh, I would be doubtful about the growth in China for sure. All yeah. right, what about you? What's your growth opportunity? Uh, I have Coupon Pay. So a small part of the business now, they don't focus on it much at uh, in the S1, but it was spun out into its own unit in 2020. Uh, it's, it's really just kind of some anecdotal evidence here. Apparently, they had 10 million registered accounts as of June 2019, so that could be promising. Um, I don't know what they're going to do with this. I don't know if it's going to turn into a consumer app, but... Uh, you know, there's there's some potential there. Maybe if people are using their app every day, I don't know. You can toss on some of this stuff. It seems like the the Venmo type things and stuff are very commodity products at this point that you got to add on features to it. So we could see uh, there could be some potential there. But again, it's kind of tough to tell as just someone women in the United States. Yeah. Uh, highlights, lowlights, Brad. So highlight is everything they, they debut works. So going back to my growth opportunity, it's really easy for me to say just emulate services that are working around the world. And it's a whole, as Brad and Ryan were saying, it's a whole nother thing for them to actually debut these products and, and execute in a country that's pretty darn developed already. Um, and, and they've done so thus far. So props to them. Um, and, and yeah, impressive. Uh, low light. And I am picking here because there's not really a lot to, not, not a lot to be, upset with or concerned about, but e-commerce penetration at 24%, it does make um, expansion a little more, a little easier and a little more seamless, but it also probably gives them less total growth, a, a, a smaller total growth runway than another country, maybe like an Egypt that has a 3% e-commerce penetration rate. I'm going to flip that back on you since it is so penetrated and they've gone from 18% uh, market share in 2019 to 24% in 2020. And the solutions are so fragmented with no one that can offer these delivery solutions and like the Amazon Prime type membership. Don't you think that gives them maybe an opportunity to take a ton yeah. of that market share wall, you know, with that? Yeah, I, I kind of see it both ways. And I'm, I'm just, I, I try, I really try to, to find a low light here because there's nothing that they're doing that, that I, that there's nothing that they're doing that I, I have anything but positive things to say. Um, and, and I just think that um, 
the remaining 76% just, just might not be as much, as much opportunity in terms of total dollars, but they do probably have that competitive advantage you're talking about by having a massive install base and several successful products and operating in a fragmented industry. So I definitely, I see it both ways, but um, yeah, hard, hard to pick a, a really red, a red flag low light here. There, there isn't one in my opinion. Right. Ryan, what did you have on that? Yeah. To Brad's point. I mean, if you think about the actual business model, it's great. And it even sounds a little utopian. Like you, you order, it's there in the morning, you put whatever you don't need back outside, they pick it up and it's like this really seamless process. But um, yeah, I guess well, we talk about like how much more can they grow within South Korea? So they have, let's say, they have 15 million users roughly. I think the population is just north of north of 50 million. 55, yeah. Um, and uh, 96% of those uh, have mobile phones, let's say. Obviously, there's still a lot more users to be had, but I think the market's forecasting a lot of that growth. Uh, there. I, I think it's obvious because you look at JD.com or competitors like that, they trade at one-time sales. I think people are assuming that the growth rate will, they will continue uh, to grow. Cheating, hey, you're cheating. No, no valuation low lights. I'm just saying, you know, when we talk about, you know, expecting whatever the TAM is, uh, I think the market is in the same boat, but my low light, uh, I don't see how they could be as profitable elsewhere. It seems like South Korea is like, the optimal place to have an e-commerce platform like this. Um, I mean, Singapore is the same. Uh, I wouldn't say the same. That's rude. But uh, Singapore is just a dense of a place, like not population-wise. But it's, okay. it's smaller. It's you know, it's only like a five million population city. Okay, I'll take your word for it. I, I don't know the territory well enough. Uh, other highlight, though, I would say management was exceptional. I thought uh, Kim felt a lot like Bezos in terms of his vision for the company. Uh, Go listen to interviews with him. He's definitely competent, uh, felt like a visionary, and he felt like... He's energetic yeah. like that, you yeah. know? Like he's got the energy of a Bezos. Yeah. All right. you? Uh, I love the business model. I love these... I don't know. My favorite... I think my favorite network effect, I think Ryan knows this too, is the economies of scale. It's just so simple, but it's un- it's unstoppable if you have a good management team behind it and a good value proposition. Um, like the way they're trying to build out this network and then add things on top... And people like, uh, you know, we're da- we've are we been doubters on like uh, food delivery and stuff like that in America. But I think the way that the advantage they have is one, South Korea is so, the cities are so dense, with pop- the population is so dense. Um, sorry, uh, I can't say, I never say that right. Whatever, they have a 1% size of the land mass of the U.S. And the, uh, the population is super urban, right? It's like 85% lives in urban areas. <laughs> I think that gives them advantage to you to actually make coupon eats profitable and the fact that they directly employ these 15,000 delivery drivers also makes it a little bit of an advantage compared to someone like DoorDash or Uber's model. I don't know. I think there's a lot of ways that can just add things on top, like Brad was saying, uh, but that is a little bit pie in the sky. And I love this quote from their shareholder letter or their S1. They said, our long-term goal is to maximize free cash flow while we're minimizing shareholder dilution. That's perfect. Um, now they got to go do it, I guess, but... I mean, it's great that, you know, some companies we see that and then we just see them, you know, giving out 10% of their uh, revenue and stock-based compensation. So I did like that a lot. Love the market share gains, 18% to 24%. Low lights, though, like Ryan said, population. Um, 
it's the TAM concerns, I guess. Uh, you know, eventually you argue they have to go out of their domestic markets. So that's going to be a tougher proposition for them. You know, the model could work, but it's just going to be way more competition. Yeah. You, I think it's not as much a concern about the TAM. Like you can tell they can definitely be very successful within South Korea. It's just there's some uncertainty as to how well this scales outside of yeah. South Korea. Yeah, it's not, well, it's not the model, right? It's just that how it's received uh, it's like, and, and there's com- just, com- I don't know, the competitive landscape in other yeah, areas. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, more or less interested, Brad, if you have anything else, if not more or less interested on coupon. Uh, I, I really hearing that bomb soup. Kim almost took this company public a few years ago. I would have loved getting into this company before um, it had such a, what is it? $61 billion enterprise value or something like that. So uh, yeah, be back at the cash, but they might be investing that also. I don't know if that's, Mark, $72 billion market cap. 72, yeah, sorry about that. Um, so for me, I, I, I really understand the argument that they are aggressively sinking operating cash flow into new services and becoming as sticky as they possibly can and as vital as they possibly can. But when you're doing $6 billion in revenue, I'm sorry, I keep, I keep guessing on numbers. Um, when you're doing as, as much revenue as they're doing, I mean, you're still far away from profitability. I, I look around the e-commerce landscape and I see Ozon, which again, I own, so I'm biased, uh, doing a small fraction of the, of the run rate revenue they're doing and already cash flow positive. So I don't love the fact that it, it is so big and still so far from profitability, but everything else about the company is, is really impressive. So to me almost, I feel like if the growth rate slows down coming out of COVID-19 and people get less excited about this, that is when I will really start to... Um, approach it as a potential long-term investment. But so, so I guess it's a more interested, but not right now kind of thing. Yeah. It seems like valuation is a big thing, Ryan. Uh, I'm assuming you have those concerns as well. Yeah, mm, I mean, the valuation, it's more concerns around TAM, I guess, and sort of the uncertainty with international expansion for me. Uh, I do like management and I think it's going to look really, really, it feels like a young Amazon. Um, and it's going to feel really, really dumb if people are like, Everyone always talks about, well, if you could go back and invest in Amazon, what, you know, you, yeah. you, you always think you would have done it. And then here we have this, this pitch coming in that is just Amazon again in a <laughs> dense yeah, city. Yeah, in seven years, if they're doing a hundred billion in revenue, we'll be like, damn it. Like, yeah. yeah um, I, but I also think about what I have invested in Amazon purely for e-commerce once they were already doing 10 billion in revenue. Maybe not, you know, it's AWS was the really sexy part of that business uh, yeah. for me. And I guess you can, you know, where is that for coupon? Yeah. Well, I guess with another thing we're forgetting though, is they do have a Shopify clone ish. They have a, they have a subscription like software thing that they let people set up um, shops online. They, they have merchant good. solutions. Yeah. Merchant yeah. solutions, I guess is a good way to call it. So that could be higher margin. They also are building out an advertising thing, which is another way that Amazon makes a lot of its high margin revenue. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm more interested and they do have sort of all those, uh, call options, if you will. Um, I think I'd also have to understand sort of the macro landscape as well. And just Southeast or South Korea in general, uh, cause it's not an area I'm that familiar with. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more interested again, you know, valuation is, it's tough. I'm, I would argue the TAM thing is not anything to worry about just because they have a lot of different business lines. And if you look at this e-commerce in South Korea, they're gaining market share 
and South Korea's e-commerce market is growing at a double-digit rate. I just really think they're building it out themselves. Like they're building out the market, they're making it legit, kind of like in a in, in Western markets, and even better. Um, so yeah, valuations concern. Yeah, international expansion will be tougher for them. Profitability is also a concern, but these are the things that. Again, it comes back to this: the things you argued about Amazon in two thousand five. Uh, you can't just. It's funny. Yeah. Like but, if you miss this after everyone's like, it's Amazon 2.0, you're going to feel really stupid. Yeah. But, but it's obviously a bit of a different situation. Yeah. And it's, again, you know, people make the comparison to Jumia, Mercado Libre, and uh, C Limited, but it's not. This is actually the same business model. Um, but yeah. Anything else, guys? Brad, one more thing. Yeah, I mean, you, we just heard about Jemai or Jamir or, or Jemaya, one of the two, uh, pulling back. I mean, they're pulling back on investment dollars to approach profitability. So when I hear yeah. people say mm-hmm. Jemaya is the Amazon of Africa, that just does not jive at all with that with that strategy and that approach to profitability. I mean, they're yeah, <laughs> Amazon would not would not be doing that at all right now. So, um, yeah. I, but I do see that yeah, this could be a South Korean Amazon, and two years from now, kicking myself for not owning it. Yeah. I think All right. the path, yeah, the path to profitability for Coupon is pretty clear. I mean, yeah. almost four hundred or three hundred million in operating cash flow, and yeah. then they're just investing so much back into capex. Yep. Yep. For sure, that's pretty consistent. All right. Before we go, Ryan, what about the stock for next week? Thread up, two hundred million dollar market cap, I think. Uh, Poshmark competitor, right? Kind of. Right. It's more for like. Uh, Cheaper stuff, thrift store type stuff, resale and thrift store kind of items. Cheaper okay. Stuff. We're going from 70 billion down to 200 million. Should be fun. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Brad, thank you for joining us. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Ryan and I, excuse me, I really rolled that one. We're general partners at Arch Capital, clients at Arch Capital may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Again, thank you all for listening. We'll see you next Sunday.